Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are at a very famous story. We are at a very famous narrative. All of you know this story uh, for the most part. Um, And so I want us to look carefully at it like we do always. Um, What I've brought, and I'm going to hope to remember to bring it every time because I'm preparing with it at home and it's it's a schlep to bring it every time. But um, I'm going to be sharing with you from the Robert Alter uh, translation uh, and commentary on Torah. Um, He, as you know, is... uh, it's from a literary approach uh, and has just completed an entire translation of the entire corpus of Hebrew sacred scripture. So he was, it was all over the news. It was all over NPR. It was all over the New York Times. So, um, so I will be sharing with you from his translation whenever um, I feel like it's, you know, interesting in the ways that it varies from ours. He's still alive. Yes, he's still alive. Uh, and just completed this huge, huge, huge project. I mean, it's a project of a lifetime to translate all of the Hebrew scriptures, not just the five books of Torah, Psalms, Chronicle. I mean, like everything, to look at every word of everyone, everything in the Hebrew, and try to decide, do you try to capture the literal meaning, or do you use an English word for the Hebrew that, that better gets at what he believes the Hebrew idiom is trying to, it's like saying lick the windows in French, right? That means window shopping, right? To the French, window shopping means you'd be shopping for windows, right? So he, he, so he, it's the work of a lifetime to look at every word and try to figure out how to translate and, and it. So, do you feel his translation is more to your way of thinking than some of the others? I, I think it's an interesting dialogue between translate. I always find it a very interesting conversation between translations, but I find that we're usually using my JPS translation and your uh, women's commentary translation, which is not usually that different than mine. Um, what, what makes mine different from yours sometimes is all the stuff below the line, where it will say literally or actually, right, because it's the commentator saying, commenting on the JPS translation. Um, so sometimes you hear me give you that dialogue, but now we're going to have Robert Alter, who has his own reasoning for the way he's translated stuff. All right. So let's look at what is... So I want you to look at this with fresh eyes. Okay? I know you know the story. We all know the story, but we know parts of the story, right? And we know impressions of the story, and we know the way the story's been summarized. So let's look at this with completely new eyes as a, a piece of Torah that we're studying together. So we're, we're at chapter 6, verse 9, as we begin Parshat Noach. This is the line of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his age. Noah walked with God. Noah begot three sons, Shem, Tom, and Yapheth. The earth became corrupt before God. The earth was filled with lawlessness. When God saw how corrupt the earth was, for all flesh had corrupted its ways on earth, God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with lawlessness because of them. I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make it an ark with compartments, and cover it inside and outside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, 
its width 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. Make an opening for daylight in the ark and terminate it within a cubit of the top. Put the entrance to the ark in its side. Make it with bottom, second, and third decks. Okay. Is that the rest of the instructions? Uh, there's more. Okay, give me a little more. Okay, for my part, <laughs> I am about to bring the flood. <laughs> waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh under the sky in which there is breath of life. Everything on earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. And of all that lives, of all flesh, you shall take two of each into the ark to keep alive with you. They shall be male and female. From birds of every kind, cattle of every kind, every kind of creeping thing on earth Two of each shall come to you to stay alive. For your part, take everything that is eaten and store it away to serve as food for you and for them. Noah did so just as God commanded him, so he did. Okay. <clears throat> so our, our uh, section begins, Ele toldot Noah. So we are now getting an introduction to the line of Noah. So we have from creation to Noah, and all of a sudden with Noah, we get Ela told don't Noah. Before this, we just get this one begot, this one begot, this one begot, this one begot, this one. We get a, a genealogical list that the priestly source, remember? The priestly source loves genealogies. Um, and so um, that's what we get till now. And all of a sudden, we get Ela told don't Noah. So from Adam to Noah is 10 generations. Look in the text. Look back. This one begot, this one begot, this one begot, this one begot, this one. 10 generations. Adam to Noah, 10 generations. Noah to Abraham, any guesses? 10 Exactly. 10 generations. Noah is the pivot. Noah is the center between the you know, antediluvians and what it's going to take post-deluge to get from Noah to uh, Avraham. And it's important to note um, that because all, all male life is destroyed other than Noah's sons, Noah's line, that means by definition, Noah will become, he will become the ancestor of everybody who comes later. So for the rabbis, I mean, that's an important point. We all descend from Noah. Everybody descends from Noah. Okay? It's not like there was a pocket of people that hung out over here on a really, really, really high mountain and made it, and somehow they are not part of this family history. For the rabbis, for our tradition, everybody comes through Adam, right, to Noah, and, and then our family story is going to become a particular story with Avraham. So it takes 20 generations to get from Adam to this particular narrative about this one family that turns into this crazy business um, with Avraham. All right, so, t so we're getting a new thing here. We're getting the start of a new thing, a new set of generations. Eile toldot noach, ish tzadik 
tamim. So he is tzaddik. What is tzaddik? Righteous. He is tzaddik and tamim. What is tamim? It says blameless. In this translation. Says what? Blameless. Ah. So Robert Alter says the same. So. If you go to a Jewish cemetery and you see on a headstone, Ish Tam, that is a good thing. Mm-hmm. A person who is Tam. Um, it can mean simple uh, in other uses, meaning not a good thing. Um, but in general, uh, when you're using it about a person, louding that person, they are um, free, f- they're simple in that they are free from all the complications of of a personality that is yucky. Like pure. Yes. Yes. It has the sense of pure. I thought Tom was taste. Tom. Oh, Tom. There's an ayin. Right? But we usually say Tom, but it's Tom. And this is Tom. The subtlety. Tav mem. Right. There's an interesting comment at the bottom here. Yes. It says, this is the line of Noah. And then it says Noah again, and it makes the comment that uh, the first person Noah gave birth to was himself. In that? It says, this is the line of Noah. Uh-huh. Noah, in that he had to discover uh-huh. himself before he could move Lovely. Forward. Lovely. Because we have, so he's saying there, there's a comma. If you do, a little don't Noah, colon. Noach is tzaddik, right? But of course, the rabbis are going to look at a little don't Noach, Noach, blah 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 blah. So here's the generations of Noach. Noach is first. <laughs> he has to first deliver himself, and then he can deliver generations. Lovely, love the rabbis. All right, uh, okay. So he was a righteous man, tzaddik. Tamim haya bedorotav. So he was righteous and tam in his generations. Et Elohim hit Noach. So with God did Noach walk. So he is righteous in his generation. So the rabbis have to ask, the commentators have to ask, why add in his generation? What other generation would he be righteous in? Like, of course you live in your own generation. Like duh. Like so it feels like Department of Redundancy Department, like well, you're you're going to be righteous in someone else's. I mean, you're right. That doesn't make any sense. So, um, the, you know, the famous commentary is that what it is for the rabbis is that this is a qualifier. He's not stam tzaddik and tamim. He is relatively tzaddik and tamim, given what's going on around him. That given his generation. Comparatively speaking, <laughs> he is tzaddik and tamim. Because the world was terrible. Correct. Right. right. But so one of the questions we have to ask is why do the rabbis need to qualify tzaddik and tamim? Why, why, why can't they just say in his generation? Okay. Because he was human. He was human for sure. So we have to ask what. What makes the rabbis need to qualify Noah's righteousness? So let's hold that question and see if it doesn't come up for you, unless Mehmet it already has for you. I remember this commentary says this is Noah's chronicle. This is Noah's chronicle. Chronicle. That works. What I understand from that is he wrote it himself. 
Ha. Okay. So Noah writes this himself. So you're saying that Noah is qualifying, Noah is qualifying himself. being Sadiq and Tamim, maybe himself. Okay. The rabbis don't want him to be held up as the standard for righteousness. Why not? He follows God's orders. He follows God's commands. He makes an ark. He does all this work. He puts nah, all this feet aside he, for the animals. He takes care of the animals day and night while the flood is going on. Huh? The writer knows Moses is coming. The writer knows Moses is coming, but that still doesn't make Noah less righteous or Tom that Moshe is Moshe's bit greater than everybody. It doesn't make us less righteous. Let's just identify with him because he's not the only one. So we too can be a part of this. No. So, teaching of no. Rabbi Bernstein. No. Bert knows. Bert has learned with me for a long time. And so when we get there, Bert's oh, going to okay. tell us. Oh, let him tell us now. Why, why, where the rabbis have a problem and why they have to qualify Noah. Okay. I think. So, yeah, you're, you know it because you just said it. All right. The earth. Let's look at 11. Verse 11. Yeah. Verse 11. Verse 11. Uh, the earth became corrupt before God. The earth was filled with lawlessness. And okay. So, so this is what God notices, right? God sees that the earth has become corrupt. In uh, Robert Alter's translation, um, it is filled with outrage. Um, humankind had been enjoined to multiply and fill the earth. But the proliferation of human population leads to a proliferation of lawless behavior. This is one of several verbal echoes of the creation story, suggesting first a perversion of creation by man, and then a reversal of creation by God. So God says, pru or vu, umil u et be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth, meaning to make it good. Mm-hmm. And instead, they fill it with what? In Hebrew? Hamas. Hamas. That you're filling it with Hamas. Whoa. Whoa. So that is not what God wanted. Hamas is a perversion of what God wanted. Right? Um, and so they're, they, they have now perverted what God wanted for human beings as they proliferated. And so God will now be undoing creation because of what human beings have done. We just had a fire. I think we better watch out for a flood. So <laughs> what laws, what laws were they not doing? It, there hadn't been yet. No it doesn't, it's nothing about law. It does not it say they broke the law. Well, it, what it is, is they are behaving in ways that one would understand as part of human society to be right outside, which is why he says outrage. He doesn't say lawlessness. The translation um, of this one is violence. So, right. So Hamas is violence, is, ca- is chaos it's not a good chaos. And, and if we talk about creation being about order, pulling things apart day and night, land and sky, right? When you, you separate things, and that's how creation stands. Remember our ancient Near Eastern cosmology? The waters above, the waters below, it is the separation that allows creation to hold. This kind of chaos is they have undone 
the ordering the, in terms of human behavior that would sustain creation. And so now those waters are going to collapse. And that's what we have. The separation of powers has been eroded. Uh, <laughs> and so the waters are going to, God is going to undo creation by bringing those waters back together. Is this a, a, only a Hebrew word, Hamas, or is it also Arabic? You, you think the group took a Hebrew name? <laughs> well, I just wondered why they choose that name anyway. Because it means the same thing. But they, they would choose a name violence. that means evil and violence. Yeah. Violence and destruction and chaos. That's their purpose. That is exactly their purpose. So there's no name that is their goal except to destroy. Yes. Correct. The enemy. To destroy and, and confound the enemy. 100% using violence. And the terror that comes with chaos that is violent chaos. That is the goal. That is the jihad. Wow. Okay. Maybe. I need help. Well, so do I. You know, if you look at Lilith and the Lilith story, um, then are we going to invalidate the entire first attempt by God to create humankind? Or do we accept the fact that the demonic Lilith was God's creation and therefore from the very beginning uh, we were doomed? So I don't think Lilith is demonized in the garden. She's uppity. She's up the, and what she does invalidates, in some senses, the initial commands of God. It, it doesn't really invalidate those commands of God. It, God takes care of it. You're, you're not going to be a suitable helpmeet for our Adam. She's conceptually very dis, you know, disorganizing and a happy person. Have you told stories? You know what? The, the rabbis don't really care. Right, they don't care about her motivation. That's her problem. She, you know, she's uppity and won't listen to. Right, think about their agenda. She won't listen to Adam and behave and doesn't know her place. What happens to women like that? They, as you said last time, they are describing reality. What happens to women like that? They are sent over the fence. Right. The shadow of it is in where it lies right across the, the ten generations to Noah. The shadow of Noah of Lilith does what? And it stretches all the way across the generations. Sure. Sure. To all women. And to men who are dealing with her forever. Y'all are the ones who really have to deal with her, not us. She doesn't tempt us. Right. Like we're strong. We're amazing. But um (laughs) it's you weak you weak creatures, you men, that she preys on, right? Um and makes her minions with. So this is all rabbinic and the rabbis are dealing with an original female that they don't know what to do with um, and so it's an opportunity for them to of course lay their worldview on the relationship between the genders and what causes the shadow of Lilith to extend all the way to Noah and possibly beyond is women tend to not know their place. <laughs> Amen. Amen. 
All right. And, and, and I know that you know what I'm talking about because I know who you're married to. So. <laughs> I didn't say that. And you know... <laughs> Because you know I mean it as a compliment, and so would everyone in here. <laughs> okay, so all the world is Hamas. Vayar Elohim et Aretz v'hinei nishchata ki yishchit kol basar et darko al haaretz. So God sees how corrupt the earth was. All flesh had corrupted its ways on earth. And God says to Noach, um, I am now about to destroy them with the earth. Okay? So make for yourself, what is he, he's going to make an ark of cypress wood, right? And so we get all of the explanations about the ark. So this is the longest speech God has given. Other than the punishment given to Adam and Eve, the consequences of their actions in the garden, whichever actions we decide those are. Um, they, they, other than that speech, this is a longer speech. This is the longest speech so far in the Torah by God. And most of it is the instruction to build the ark. So one of the commentaries, I've read so many, I don't know which one, was saying um, that the, this, the same way that like God has kind of let humanity do its thing, now all of a sudden God's like, on it enough. right enough and God is being very specific and this is the ark and this is what it looks like and this is how you make it and this is how big it is and right these are the measurements so God is very much now present and involved in the reset that's going to be happening to creation all right <clears throat> we read about bringing floodwaters yeah and right, and bringing two of each kind of animal into the ark. Noah has to put away, he and his family have to put away food mm-hmm. for all of the animals and provisions for themselves for the entirety of the time they're going to be in the teva and presumably until life can regenerate, vegetation can regenerate to feed those animals once the waters recede. Because you so imagine like how many provisions that is. You sure it does. Of course it does. <laughs> of course it does, right? Is there any indication given? going and inspecting. I mean, forget cats. That's a little, like beetles. Like, caterpillars. Like, like, like. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to believe the rabbis assume God gave some scientific assistance to Noah and his family. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sorry? Are you reading ahead? Okay. Well, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. All right. Chapter 7, Bert. Okay. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark with all your household, for you alone have I found righteous before me in this generation. Of every pure animal you shall take seven pairs, males and their mates, and of every animal that is not pure, two, a male and its mate. Of the birds of the sky also, seven pairs, male and female, to keep seed alive upon all the earth. 
For in seven days' time I shall make it rain upon the earth, forty days and forty nights, and I will blot out from the earth all existence that I created. And Noah did just as the Lord commanded him. Okay. Forty days and forty nights. All right. So this is one of those places where we see very clearly the seam between two variant traditions. We have two different sources here. Yeah? Yes, Nance, our Bible, the same one that's on your bookshelf at home, has this variation in it. Because the ancient author is not concerned. They, he ha- the redactor has to be a little worried about making, not making it sound crazy. But that is not the primary objective. If you have two variant traditions, you had better represent them both. That is more important, right? Whether it's, right, the war of northern aggression, as I was raised to call it, right? Or the civil war, right? You, you have to have both versions in there or no one's going to buy this new national history. We have to remember that. We go, this is silly, but it's not. It's, it's the purpose of this is to bring different peoples together as one people. That means you have to represent sinkers and floaters. <laughs> no, not fair and balanced because it's, it's exactly the opposite of fair and balanced. It's, it's this one and over and against that oppositionally is this one they don't they don't they don't line up exactly right you like floaters or sinkers you can't have a matzo ball that's both right or it's a failure right like you, it needs to be one or the other so both have to be here yes checks back in and sees that Adam and Eve are covering themselves and what's going on here? They get expelled. He goes off, he comes back ten generations later. What's going on here? I have to destroy the world. And so my question is, God does not at any point think this human experiment is a failure. God 100% understands that this human experiment is a failure. 100% understands that. And says, and it says that God regrets making, because Noah, Noah seems to be tzaddik and tamim enough, right, that, that it's, it's a way to start over with a known product. So apparently, Noah has proven that he's not doing the things that have made human beings a failed experiment. So as long as there's one, going back to Sodom and Gomorrah, great Greek story. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see when we get to Sodom and Gomorrah what, what the reasoning, it, what the so, deal is there. So God blames him or herself for this <laughs> It's a very interesting question. Does God blame God's self for this failure? Um, God regrets. God regrets having made human beings. And so for a long time, 
um, I preached hard on this Parsha that because that's what happens when we regret. When we stay in regret, all we can do is destroy. Oh, based on what she was saying, it's almost as if I shouldn't have left them alone. <laughs> I should have kept a, a better eye on things. God, God's problem, however, is, and, that, and God's problem hasn't changed. That God's problem here is that, so what if God had kept a, a better eye on things? So what? As long as human beings have free will, there's nothing God can do except what? Come down. Look at the Tower of Babel. God comes down, confounds them, spreads them out. Now they can't understand each other. So God intervenes gently to try to say, y'all are not behaving. You're not doing what I told you to do, which is fill the world. It, that's at the end of our story. And God says, all right, so God confounds them and they can't understand each other anymore, right? And so God intervenes in that sense, but God can't intervene in terms of if human beings choose to create Hamas. If they build a society that is Hamas, what can God really do, right? If, if God's gonna live with this creature and, and stay with a creature that has free will, and it seems that God, as horrible as this may feel on some levels, like a tantrum, on some levels, if we can step back from it, on some levels it makes sense. And God actually comes around to a hopefulness about humanity by saving Noah and his family. If that, I know it sounds crazy, but if we step back from all of our stuff about how can you destroy innocent, if we just step back from that for a second, I think this actually is hopeful because God doesn't say, you know what? This free will thing, that's not gonna work. They're gonna continue to make Hamas no matter what I do. That's not what God says to God's self. God says, huh. If I start with maybe a purer seed who, you know, and they've had some experience unlike Adam who, you know, who's like, doesn't know what the heck is going on, right? So maybe this will be a, a new start. And at the end of the story, God promises not to do this again. Like God seems to be impacted by the destruction in a way that God says, I'm not gonna do this again. So I think actually, I know it's crazy, but I think this is actually in its own way, a hopeful story about humanity and about God's relationship and assessment of humanity. I'll go even farther than that. It's almost as if God has now learned how to deal with these earthlings. Or how not to. And how not to. Originally he said, he told them just don't do the wrong thing. And now God has learned, in a way, in a sense, doing shuva, God has learned, no, they need laws. They need... God forbid God should do shuva. Well. <laughs> God forbid. So God, we're, let, let's see what, what God's answer is. To me, it looks like a giant cleansing. It's okay. Like, I mean, so water is bad. It's, uh, it's, it's like definitely a, a reset. Cleansing. Mehmet, did you want to say something? Um, Well, to Bert's point, God seems to learn and isn't so naive again. Like, like God doesn't, God at the end of our story says, okay, I get it, that's not gonna work. Right, like God, God doesn't 
stay in that place of, okay, next time it gets really bad, I'll just start over. God, God seems to get it that, that that's not going to fix it. Laura? It seems that God, God's letting humans not seeing that there's some progress. I mean, I'm just going along with this sort of hopefulness. Like, everything is really rotten. But there, here's this one, we, and all this rottenness is actually worth it. So, all right, this time, we now have got the right recipe. Let's go again. It doesn't seem... And, and that are, also argues back to the Maybe he is a righteous man, and it's not a God. Just in his generation. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and even if he's righteous only in his generation, not compared to a really good generation, does that matter? Isn't he still possibly righteous? Just to... Exactly. Exactly. Like, it it doesn't necessarily Mm. discount that he's behaving righteously because he refuses to buy in. Maybe if you're righteous in that kind of a generation, you're more righteous than somebody who's living in a monastery and is never tempted. You're the exact kind of human we need. Exactly. Because we know, we know what's going to happen right in the world. All right, did I see another? No. (laughs) Wait, maybe. Hang on. I think someone mentioned it before. Beast of would not cure. Okay, so we have clean and unclean animals. Clean and unclean for what? Eating. Ah, ha, ha. They haven't eaten animals. Yes. They've not eaten animals. So what would clean and unclean have to do? Can't be the same. Yes. It's what's clean and unclean for sacrificial use. So we, we, we haven't been told how... Noah knows that, but you're going to need more of the clean animals because some of them are going to get disposed of. And so um, you need more of those than you do of the unclean, right? Because you're going to be using the clean ones for sacrifice. All right. So. No. 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 But that's the only way you can define clean and unclean. The first thing Noah does when he gets off the boat as we're going to see, is he offers a sacrifice. So even though we have, so they're not just making that assumption, like jumping to it, but A, you have to do something with clean and unclean. And if they're not eating the animals, what, what does pure and impure you know, mean? It has to mean something probably ritual, right? Which means sacrifice. And he offers a sacrifice the minute he gets off the boat. So he knows about sacrifice. Even if we haven't been told that he knows. All right, so where are, are, are we? So we're clean and unclean, yes? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, go ahead. Six. Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. Waters upon the earth. Six. What, did we get that far? Of six. Every? Seven, yeah. verse six. For in seven days' time, blah, blah, blah. Forty yeah. days and forty nights, right? Yeah. It's going to rain. And Noah did just that. We're finished. Yeah. 600 years ago. Noah, uh, with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood of the pure animals, of the animals that are not pure, of the birds, and of everything that creeps on the ground, two of each, male and female, came to Noah into the ark, as God had commanded Noah. And on the seventh day, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst apart, and the floodgates of the sky broke open. Okay, so let's stop there. Now, Bert... Tell us, why do the rabbis have to mitigate Noah's righteousness? 
Because he didn't do what Moses did. Which is? He didn't complain. Not God just, says, I'm going to destroy everything. And Noah says, okay. Not just Moses? Uh, Abraham, right? Sacrifice, yeah, Abraham right? Sacrifice. Oh. Noah goes into complain. the ark, takes complain. everybody into the ark, and says, okay. <laughs> I, I've got my galoshes, and I'm ready. We have, you know... In and out burgers, we are ready for however long this is going to take, right? That is not what God wants in a leader. That is not what God wants from humanity. God wants someone who's going to argue back. God wants Abraham to say, if there's one righteous soul, if there's, you know, and God says, you know, Abraham says 10. God says, find me one. (laughs) Fine, right? So, God wants humankind to argue against divine injustice. For the rabbis, it's a dogma. It's an example. That the person, the only one God could find that was worth saving was one who wasn't willing to argue. That's why he's Tzadik Bedorotov, not Tzadik in general. For, I'm just telling you what the rabbis say. I'm, I'm not arguing. I'm not, I don't have an opinion here for once. Um, the, for the rabbis, that's what, what I love about that tradition is I love that we come from a tradition that the highest mark of what makes you a tzaddik is not that you just follow the word of God. You don't just obey. The opposite. What makes you a tzaddik is that you are willing to argue against the divine decree, whatever it is. If you feel it is unjust and you have access to the master of the universe, you're expected to use it. And otherwise you have failed God's own assessment of what is a tzaddik. I just love that that's our, that that's our like our rabbinic tradition. All right, whether it's fair to Noah or not is a whole nother <laughs> Uh, subject. Okay, so go on, Bert. The rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. That same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, went into the ark with Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons. They and all beasts of every kind, all cattle of every kind, all creatures of every kind that creep on the earth, and all birds of every kind, every bird, every winged thing, they came to Noah into the ark to each of all flesh in which there was breath of life. Thus they entered compromised male comprised. and female. Thus they, they that entered comprised male and female of all flesh as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. Okay. So, um, so now again, back to two of every kind, male and female of everything. This says they just showed up. He on the earth. Fig- Noah didn't have to figure out who was male and female. They just kind of showed up. They showed up. Um, so the... Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. If you look at verse 11 and you look there at the end of verse 11... All the fountains of the great deep burst apart Mm -hmm. and the floodgates of the sky broke open. That is a typical parallelism. Where do we see parallelisms like this? Huh? 
Where do we see parallelism? Saying the same thing two different ways. Where do we see that? Poetry. 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 Hebrew, yeah. Hebrew biblical poetry. Scholars look to these two lines to say originally, most likely, this was a epic poem, as is some of the ones that we have found from the ancient world that are parallel narratives. That probably this was an epic poem at one time, but it gets woven into Genesis you know, as one of the pieces of source material for Genesis in front of the author of Genesis, the redactor who's putting together all these pieces, right, to make Brashit, to make Genesis. So this is one of those literary, right, places that, you, that we can look and say, okay, definitely that is characteristic of Hebrew poetry. This was maybe once upon a time. Beca- because we have found other epic poems about the flood narrative in Mesopotamia, ancient Mesopotamia, Possibly this too originally was an epic poem like that. Why does verse 12 in this book have parentheses around it? Uh, I don't know. The rain fell for, what, 40 days and 40 nights? Verse 12. Well, in the the JPS translation. Yeah, My, my JPS has... Uh, parentheses, yeah. but uh, Robert Alter does not. And in Hebrew, there's no And I have no note in my it text. Is, it says the flood actually lasted for 150 days. All right, wait, 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 wait. Are people reading ahead? Okay, let's go to 17. Verse 17. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. And the waters increased and raised the ark so that it rose above the earth. The waters swelled and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark drifted upon the waters. When the waters had swelled much more upon the earth, all the highest mountains everywhere under the sky were covered. Fifteen cubits higher did the waters swell as the mountains were covered. And all flesh that stirred on earth perished. Birds, cattle, beasts, and all the things that swarmed upon the earth and all mankind, all in whose nostrils was the merest breath of life, all that was on dry land died. All existence on earth was blotted out, man, cattle, creeping things, and birds of the sky. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those with him in the ark. All right. So who did not, what life did not perish? What was in the ark? Fish. Rabbis say, and fish's eyes don't close; they keep them open. The fish were witnesses <laughs> to <laughs> the destruction. So, did they get credit for part of this chapter? Oh, yeah. All right. So, uh, so now, so we see that we get uh, this other number thrown around, right? 150, right? If you take these two texts, if you take the, if you, you can see the seams between the texts, this is how the text is right now. You can pull them apart and read each story completely independently. And then you would have to cut them up and put them back together to have the text that we have. But it is that plain, it is that clear that there are two independent sources. 
We have the Yaoist, we have the J tradition, and we have the P tradition. And these are two stories that are put together. It is very clear. When you pulled, if you see them pulled apart, you can never see them unpulled apart again. Right? They, they leap off the page. And uh, in the book, Who Wrote the Bible? Uh, he does that, and he puts them in different fonts. So he gives you one version, then you read the other version, and then he puts them together in different fonts. And you, I can never unsee this text right um, that way. It is very clear. And it's not even that much work to pull them apart. right? It, like it, they read completely independently uh, of each other. It's not like they try to mish it and mash it and whatever. They just pull from here, pull from here, pull from here, pull from here, and they braid it together. All right. Yes. So you tell me. I don't know of one. Do you have one? I was so tired. <laughs> <laughs> again with the mud. Again. Again with the clay. And the breathing into it. And the whole animating thing. You're never going to read that much again. Use this one. All right. Um, all right. Let's, 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 let's just read to the end. And when the waters, waters had swelled on the earth 150 days, God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to blow across the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were stopped up and the rain from the sky was held back. The waters then receded steadily from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters diminished, so that in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters went on diminishing until the 10th month, and in the 10th month, on the first of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Go, keep going. Okay. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent out the raven. It went to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out the dove to see whether the waters had decreased from the surface of the ground. But the dove could not find a resting place for its foot and returned to him to the, and returned to him to the ark, for there was water over all the earth. So putting out his hand, he took it into the ark with him. He waited another seven days and again sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came back to him toward evening. And there in its bill was a plucked off olive leaf. Then, da, 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 Noah, <laughs> then Noah knew that the waters had decreased on the earth. He waited still another seven days and sent the dove forth, and it did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, on the first of the month, the waters began to drive from the earth, and when Noah removed the covering of the ark, he saw that the surface of the ground was drying, and in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Go ahead. More? Yep. God spoke to Noah, saying, Come out of the ark, together with your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds, animals, and everything that creeps on earth. 
and let them swarm on the earth and be fertile and increase on earth. So Noah came out together with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives. Every animal, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that stirs on earth came out of the ark by families. All right. So again, we're getting a reset of creation. You are to be fertile and increase and fill the world. The Noah built an altar to God and taking of every clean animal and of every clean bird, he offered burnt offerings on the altar. So he knows the difference between clean and unclean. He knows which ones are suitable for offerings and which are not. And he obviously knows how to make an offering to God. God smelled the pleasing odor and God said to God's self, never again will I doom the earth because of these humans. Since the devisings of humans' minds are evil from their youth, nor will I ever again destroy every living being as I have done. So what has God learned? God's learned a couple of things. God is not going to be naive anymore. God gets it that this is what we're dealing with when we're dealing with human beings. It's what it is. Human beings with free will. He could have taken that back. Yes, 100%. If we're going to deal with human beings and leave them with free will, God goes this is what I'm stuck with. Like, I, I can't destroy them every time they are who they are because they are who they are. And I think in our tradition, what again, what I love about this is that God accepts who we are. God goes, okay, <laughs> right? So, so then what's going to happen is uh, you've heard of the seven Noahide mm-hmm. laws, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what comes next. What comes next is God says, don't murder, <laughs> right? Don't, so don't do these seven things, you humans. So what God learns is human beings need instruction, we need direction. You can't just plop us down. You can't just take a bunch of toddlers and put them in a room and say, okay, have fun. Play nice with each other. What's going to happen? Tommy's going to take Janie's truck and hit her over the head with it. That's who we are. So what we need is a loving teacher standing by saying, Tommy, it's not nice to hit our friend Janie in the head with a truck. <laughs> we don't do that with our friends. We need instruction. And for us, instruction is a loving thing. Torah, for us, is, is God's proving God's love for us in giving us instruction about how it is that we're supposed to behave. The Noahide laws are for all of humanity. Right, And that for our tradition is in place until today. That all of humanity are obligated to the seven Noahide laws because they come from everyone descends from Noah. So that covenant, the first covenant, is in place with all of humanity. When God says, I'm not going to do this again, God makes a promise, God gives instruction, that is in place for all of humanity. Um, and that it is a loving thing and that God learns that we have to learn, right? And that we need to be given instruction, not just free will, but instruction about how to control it. Elena? So how does that fit in with the comment in line 21 that says um, um, the human mind inclines to evil from youth onward? They don't say birth. Um, because, because I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't have any. I don't know any commentary on it, and I don't see it. Because I think it's the, it's the awakening of really icky desires. Na'arav, and Na'ar is a young boy. But are we born? We are, we are, this has nothing to do with pure. Okay. This has nothing to do with, we are, of course we are born pure, but that's rabbinic. The neshama is pure. That is rabbinic. There is no neshama in the Bible. There's no pure, impure how you're born in the Bible. You're born with free will. You're born, according to the rabbis, with the inclination to good and to evil. But we are pulled towards evil from our youth. Right? That is just... God knows we are... We have a proclivity to be greedy, to be... To lie, to steal. We have a proclivity for that. And God gets it and says, okay, this is what I'm stuck with unless I want to start from the beginning and start all over again, right? So in this last, um, in this last uh, fire business, it was clear that we were going to leave our house because we just couldn't deal anymore with not knowing if we were going to have to run. The car was packed, and it was just ridiculous to try to relax or do anything, um, because we we also knew if we, if everybody needed to get out of there because it was a mandatory evacuation, we knew what that was going to mean on Palisades Drive, and on Sunset, and on the PCH. So, any way you sliced it, it was going to be miserable to try to get out of there um, if there was a mandatory evacuation. So we decided to just and the winds were about to pick up. You know, it was going to be that horrible night of wind, and Judy was a wreck, and. And so we had this conversation, and then I thought, this is like, what about Mrs. Noah? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, like Judy's like, you know, and and I'm like, whatever. Like, I'll take a bath. I'll read. You know, it'll be fine. You know, and she's running around, and she's like so focused. She's watching the news. She's looking for the alert. She's looking out the window. Where are the helicopters? Where's the thing? What's the wind speeds? What's the direction? Oh, my God. Is this packed? Did we remember that? And I'm like... What like what goes on like, and so like I realized that we were living in like two completely different realities. Her world was about to possibly explode, and she was reacting appropriately. If your world is about to come apart, and I was like, we don't have any evidence that the wind is going to pick up any embers and do anything. And if it is, they're there. We know the wind speed. They're watching. Like, what? what is... Nothing's happened. And, like, I just realized... So we were in these two completely different realities and two completely different places. And I thought, well, what about Mrs. Noah? If it's just... You know how long it takes to cut the wood to build a boat like this? <laughs> <laughs> like, he's running around like a crazy person. Like you know, harvesting all this stuff and putting it away and making sure it's going to stay dry and making sure there's a... And, like, the the rabbis say he he did this for 120 years. He prepared for the flood. 120 years it took him to grow the tree and and cut the wood and saw it and polish it and measure it and... And Mrs. Noah, what is she doing? I'm sure she's just going, like, did she hear God? Probably not. Right? And so she either has to support him in this crazy and escape plan 
Or she has to go, you know what, honey? <laughs> like, if this makes you feel better, you and the boys go cut wood. Um, I'm gonna be over here, right, you know, with the women. Like, we're, we're working on a new dance, and like, we're gonna bring it out at, you know, Hanukkah. So like, what, is, what, is it, what does it mean to have, we just assume, because it happens, this is the story. But like, you, I, I was just thinking about the conversations between, right, the Noah family, <laughs> as they are, putting all of this energy and time and all of these resources towards something that she might think is never gonna happen. But if she supports him, it's because she knows he believes this is gonna happen and he's really concerned about it. And so I'm like, okay, so I guess we'll be leaving the house, right? Cause it just, I was fine, but it's like, okay, but, she wasn't fine, and whether those embers burned into anything or not, her reality wasn't gonna change, right? And so it's about, okay, so then sometimes you just live in someone else's reality because if you can't bring them out of it, you're gonna need to go <laughs> in it with them if you're gonna be, right, in any way supportive and whatever. And the other thing was that Eliana, when we left, um, she wanted to go to her friend's house who lives in Santa Monica. And I said, okay. And, she, and they, she hangs out there all the time. And the, the friend lives with her older sister, who's a model, who's like 27. So, that, you know, are you kidding? That's like, that's, they play house. It's the best, whatever. So she, she wants to go there. And I said, well, if you go there, could you take the dog? Because if she could take the dog then we could go to a hotel, <laughs> like a nice hotel, you know, not a hotel that welcomes dogs. So, um, not two dogs, male No, not, <laughs> not male and female. It's, it's, a, it's a spade rescue one-eyed chihuahua, so, um, which Judy probably would have been happy to leave. <laughs> so we, uh, so Eliana decides, so then I'm like, am I really gonna ask her to do this? Like, and I thought, I. I don't know that I can turn over my responsibility for the dog to this young person who's never had that kind of responsibility for her. Like, it's one thing to walk her every day in our place. It's another thing, you're in a strange neighborhood. What if someone leaves the door open? The dog is a sprinter, she's a runner. What if there, she's walking her and there's some really scary dogs in the neighborhood? Like, now you're going can I do this to her? Can I do this to Ellie? Or her. And can I do this to the dog? Like, and I was just like, oh, that is what God had to ask God's self, right? Like, of course she's never had to do that before because she's never had to do that before. Does that mean she can't do it? Does that mean she's not responsible? No, it means I've not been willing to trust her with this little creature before. And so like, Noah, is he tzaddik enough? Is he bright enough? Is he really able to take care of all those animals and be responsible for all life on earth? He's never done it before, right? Like, how do you know until you turn over care and responsibility for all those creatures to Noah? How do you know if he and his family can do it? Um, so, like, I guess for me, I was like, I hadn't really thought about that aspect of the story before about God going, well, if I don't turn it over, I guess I, what are my options? I guess I could keep all the animals safe in a box on right at the top of a hill, I, right? But, but if I don't give Noah and his family responsibility for these life forms, then 
how will humanity ever take, take responsibility, learn that they can be responsible and they can do it and they are now, like she said to me, she goes, I said to her, I'm really proud of, I texted her, I'm really proud of how you've handled all this and she said, thank you for trusting me. Oh, right? Trust. And so she, lear- she became something and learned something about herself and thanked me for that opportunity because she knew it was a move for me to get there, right? She knew that I had to do some work to get from, you know what, we'll just get a hotel where we can have the dog, to, okay, I'm gonna trust you with her, Um, right? And so this whole idea of God has to trust Noah's family with everything that God has created. Every creature, like my, part of my problem was I'm responsible for Olivia. Right in, in making this decision, it could mean her destruction or serious harm to her. But if I don't, <laughs> right? and so this this moment, I realize that that this character God has to decide. Okay, maybe something terrible will happen to all of these life forms if I turn over responsibility to humanity. But if I don't, will humanity ever learn? And then I think to myself, okay, so guess what? God gave us the dog. <laughs> What are we doing? How many species are going extinct on our watch? How many bio, what do you call them? Um, Bio ecosystems, right, are being completely disrupted because of our Irresponsibility. irresponsibility, our refusal to own that those creatures are dependent on us. It's been given into our care. I know you know I'm not a literalist about this stuff, right? But it has been given into our care, these creatures. And they are innocent and they are fragile and they are vulnerable. And we, the message for me this year about this story is A, can we hear each other and the, the realities that each of us lives in and just try to show up for one another and support each other and build an ark if that's what we need to do, whether or not we believe a flood is coming. Um, and the other is, can we get it that God risked something in giving over, precious. God risked something precious in giving all life into our care, because that's where we're at. Whether it's a nuclear explosion or anything else, all life is in our care. May we use that responsibility well, and may we take it extremely seriously, and may we, may we get it that we've been entrusted, because God believes we can do this. Shabbat shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.